You may be seated, and if you've got your Bibles, I'd like to ask you this evening to open with me to the book of Romans. And Romans in chapter number 11. And with the Lord's help tonight, we'll look at this passage of Scripture right at the end of Romans chapter 11 and into the beginning of chapter number 12. And I hope and I pray that it will it'll be a blessing to you tonight. And so let's just read this passage starting in verse number 33 of Romans 11. And we'll read down to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Romans 11, verse number 33. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him? And it shall be recompensed unto Him again. For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we know the Lord will add His blessing to the reading, to the hearing of His Word this evening. Let's just pray. And pray that the Lord would speak to us from these words uh, tonight. Lord, we thank Thee for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we thank Thee for the Apostle Paul and how Thou hast worked in his life. We, we think of his conversion on the Damascus Road. And we think of his Christian life as he labored for Thee and so often was, was, was fleeing for his own life, Lord. But we thank Thee that through it all, these words really seem to ring out through His life. To Him be glory forever. To Him be glory forever, Lord. Make that real to me tonight. Make that real to us tonight. May it be said of ourselves that we understand and that we live that it with, with the intent that Thou wouldest be glorified in our lives. Let us live for that purpose. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. This passage of Scripture um, has spoken to me a lot recently, and I, I hope tonight that it will speak to you. When, you. when you consider the book of Romans, Romans is really the, if you will, the Everest of the, the Pauline epistles. And so, as the Apostle Paul was writing the letters to different churches, this one seems to, in a sense, stand a bit higher and a bit have a, a bit broader of a foundation than the others. Not to say that it's necessarily any greater, but it, it, in a sense, Paul deals with the, one of the greatest doctrines of the Scriptures, and that is our salvation. And so as you read the book of Romans, you find that he really unfolds the, the, the idea of, of why we must be saved. For all have sinned, right? For the wages of sin is death. We find that in Romans that because of our, our wickedness, because of fallen man, because uh, Adam sinned, as in Adam, all die. And the reality is, is that every one of us tonight is born with a sin nature separated from God. 
It continues to say that in, in Romans 5.8 that God commendeth His love toward us. So though we were sinners, though we were broken, though we were far from God, God extends His love toward us. He loves us. There's a God in heaven that loves mankind and cares for our souls. And, and, and in that, it tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that love, is Jesus Christ our Lord. But the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus. That's what God offers to us. And that's what Paul is speaking about. You get to Romans 10, it says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But as you get to Romans 11, you begin to read this chapter and, and even the chapters surrounding it. And, and maybe you're like me, you don't understand everything in the Bible. Maybe you aren't like me and you do understand it all. That's okay if you do. Um, but I don't. There are some truths and doctrines in the Scripture that are beyond me. And, and I believe that as you read this passage of Scripture that we read tonight, starting in verse number 33, that you'll find that even Paul himself says that there are some things about God that are beyond him. There are things about who God is that the greatest missionary in all of, all of the history of mankind himself said he did not understand. Think of that. We think of the Apostle Paul who has recorded a, probably at least a third of the New Testament and he himself goes on to say that there are things about God that he doesn't understand. Sometimes we as, as mankind like to think we have God figured out. In fact, there are a few people, if we went out into the city center of Oxford tonight, I, I'm sure we would find a few people who think they've got God figured out. And they, and so they've got Him so figured out that they said He's unimportant. That's what uh, Nietzsche said, right? He said, we've killed God. God is dead. He thought that mankind had, had figured God out. They put God in a box. They, they discovered that He was nothing more than a mere idea in, the, in the, the flesh of mankind. But they couldn't be further from the truth. Because the reality is, is we can't comprehend God. Notice what it says. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How, I love this, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that we serve a God. The God of the Bible is a God who is beyond us. A God who we could say is unfathomable. A God who you and I in our mere mortal minds will not and cannot fully grasp. He's unfathomable. Now, I did not say He's unknowable. Because we do serve a God who is knowable. We serve a God who, who has revealed Himself to us. That's why we have God's Word. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter number 3, the Apostle Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus, and he says these words. For this cause, in verse number 14, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, notice this, verse 18, may be able to comprehend. 
that you, that you and I, this is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. He's saying that those people would be able to understand, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ. And then it says this, which passeth knowledge. Think of that. Now, what, what the Apostle Paul was saying, I believe, was that, that you can't fully understand God, but you and I ought to pursue it. We ought to desire to know God. We ought to desire to plunge into those deep depths of the ocean. The, the ocean is, is massive, and there are parts of the ocean uh, that have never been explored on this earth. And I think that the ocean is a small, small idea of what it would be like to try for one man to try to, to swim the depths of the ocean. We would say that's absurd. He could give his entire life to try to swim every square centimeter of the ocean and he'd never do it, would he? But oh, how vast, how much more vast is our God. But you and I have the opportunity to plunge into those depths. We might not ever comprehend it all. But we might, might it be true that we would desire to, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What a thought. In our text tonight, he, he carries on and he, he, makes this, he makes this point, the Apostle Paul, and I, I think he's doing this because of what he just spoke about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. 9, 10, and 11 are, are some of the, uh, I believe, some of the parts of Scripture that are most probably debated throughout the pages of history. They're, they're hard parts of Scripture to understand and, and to try to balance them one with another. But the Apostle Paul, no doubt, understood that. And that's why he says this, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know what he's saying? He's saying that God's ways are higher than our ways. See, we think we like to take our system. We like to take our, our framework of, of theology or of our worldview and place it on the Bible and say, therefore, I can understand it. I know who God is because this, this, this frame fits over it perfectly. But you can't do that with God. You can't take God and put Him in a box. You can't do that with Him. And so Paul himself says that. He says, look, I, I, I myself don't understand Him. He's unsearchable and His ways are past finding out. Verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? He says that to the church in Rome. He says, which one of you knows God's mind? Which one of you understands Him? Which one of you comprehends Him? Or who hath been His counselor? Taken out of, out of Job. Which one of you instructs God? Or sits on, sits on His... Uh, his um, his office and, and gives him advice and gives him counseling how he ought to rule the world. So many people in our world like to think that, they, don't they? I'll give God a piece of my mind. But which one of you here tonight, and myself included, which one of us has instructed God, led God, given him direction in how he ought to guide in this world? Sometimes we think and sometimes we pray that way. But we ought to pray as Jesus Christ Himself prayed, not my will, but Thine be done. He goes on to say, Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again. In other words, who, who, who gave God something, and God now is indebted to you? Is there any of you here tonight who God is indebted to? God, you, You've really helped God out, haven't you? 
None of us are that way, are we? Paul makes his point clear. He makes a point. I think, I think what he is trying to do is simply showing us this, is that God is beyond us. God is beyond us. He goes in verse number 36 and he concludes it this way. And I, I really think that this passage, these, these words, how he ends verse 36, uh, is, encapsulates uh, what, what the Apostle Paul was trying to, to say. And in, in, in chapters 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul, you know, is dealing with doctrine. He's dealing with these great teachings and truths uh, about salvation. But in, in chapter number 12 to chapter 16, he, he, he shifts to a more practical sense. But before he seems to, to open that door, it, it seems that this singular truth, to him be glory forever, is, is the door from which it swings. And he, he, he goes from the end of chapter 11 into the beginning of 12, and you remember the, the verse division, or the chapter divisions weren't there originally, but he says this, verse 36, for of him, in other words, by him, and through him, and to him are all things. Think of that for a moment. For of Him, everything that you have ever seen, everything that you have ever tasted, everything that you have ever smelled, everything that you have ever heard, everything that you have ever touched, everything you look at right at this moment and you have ever looked at, God created. With your five senses, you have never experienced anything that did not come from God. Now, now I will pause. It may have been corrupted by man. It may have been corrupted by the works of Satan. And, and we see that. There are, there are things that, that we ought not set our eyes on. There are things that we ought not put into our body. There are things that we ought not to touch. There are things that we ought not use our senses for. But every single one of those things is of Him. God is the Creator of all things. He is the Creator. It's hard to wrap your mind around my mind. Maybe you can, but to wrap my mind around the fact that I have never experienced anything that isn't of God. So God is the Creator of all things. For of Him. And then it says this, and through Him. So not only is He the Creator of all things, but He is the Sustainer of all things. All things that continue to exist are providentially influenced by God. Think of that. Everything is through Him. Everything that we experience and do, God sustains. And because of that, verse 36, and to Him. This is the great, this is the great uh, doctrine that is being discussed here. To Him be glory forever. Because He created everything. Because He sustains everything. Therefore, everything is from Him. And therefore, it is for His glory. It is for God's glory. And the reality is tonight, as you and I breathe, as you and I are here tonight, it, our lives, our steps, our, our actions today and tomorrow, the things that we read, the things that we do, the, the nappies that we change, the, the groceries that we buy, all of these things are not for ourselves, but for God's glory. To Him be glory. And the reality is tonight, and I think it's probably true, if you're like myself, is the reality is, is most of us know that. For, the, for most of us, this is not a new doctrine. We know that our purpose on earth 
is for God's glory. I know, I've, I've learned it through, through the ages, through my, my, my time in, as a child and into uh, college and into university and into moving on to the mission field and, and all of these things. I've known that my purpose is God's glory. But if I'm honest, I don't always live like it. See, the, the truth is, is most of us live like the world. We live seeking our own glory and not God's. This statement really strikes at the heart of the purpose of mankind. Why, why are we here? Why are we here? Can I tell you, the, the world's philosophy today, uh, though they package it in different ways, I, I believe most ultimately comes down to a hedonistic view. In other words, my, my world, the, the way I live, is for my pleasure, for my glory, for my gratification. Most mankind, it's, they say it's the oldest philosophy in the world. It goes back to the epic of Gilgamesh, uh, whatever that is. But that, that I'm going to live for my own pleasure. I'm going to live for my glory. This is what Epicurus said. I'm, I'm here to please myself. And whatever pleases me is the way I'm going to live. Now, society has discovered that that doesn't always work. Because there are some things that might please me that don't please you. And so we've tried to balance that with all sorts of different worldviews and philosophies. And, and, and so we've got a, a, a multitude of them. But the ultimate goal of all the world's philosophy is to bring pleasure to self. To satisfy self. To satisfy that longing in our soul that we all have engrafted into us. But the reality is, is you and I, Seeking to satisfy our own souls through hedonism or any other philosophy will never be content. Why? Because we weren't created to glorify ourselves. We weren't created for our own purposes. We weren't created to, to just seek pleasure for our own souls. We were created to glorify God. And I do believe that as you and I seek to glorify God in our lives, that we will receive out of that the greatest pleasure and satisfaction. Contentment. That's why, that's why the psalmist in Psalm 23 can say that, that great statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The reality is, is you will want if you can't say the Lord is my shepherd. But if you can say with the, the fullness of your own heart that the Lord is your guide, He is your shepherd, He is the one that is leading you, then you ought to be able to say, I shall not want. I am content. I am satisfied in Him. To Him be glory forever. This is the great, the, the great battle in our world. People living for self-gratification instead of for God's glorification. I wonder, is that you? Is, is that the way that you live? Isaiah 43, 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. In the book of Revelation, in chapter number 4, verse 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and notice this, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For God's glory. We recognize this. We understand. And this, this is Paul's argument. He, verse 33 through 35, he says, Look, God's unfathomable. God is beyond you. Therefore, 
He receives glory. To Him be glory forever. And this is what brings us to chapter 12, verse 1. And it says this. He says these words, I beseech you therefore. In other words, that therefore is referring back to what was just said and really back to all the doctrine that he just discussed in Romans 1-11. through He says, therefore, because of all that, I beseech you or I beg you, I petition you, I plead with your soul. Brethren, it recognizes that he's no different than those he's speaking to by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies. Notice this. A living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here's the progression. God is unfathomable. God deserves to be glorified. Therefore, you glorify God in your life. That's, that's what Paul's trying to say here, I believe, as, as he shifts from doctrine to practical uh, life and, and the, the Christian life lived out. He's shifting on this, this idea that God is beyond you. He deserves glory and you ought to glorify God in your life. Do you glorify God in your life? Do I glorify God in my life? At times, maybe when we're at church, we glorify God and we act a bit holier. We don't speak the way we would in, in public. We're a bit less gluttonous because we don't, we know that the other Christians might see the way we're acting. We, we pull ourselves together. We gossip a little bit less. We slander a, a little bit less because we know we're in the church of God. But I wonder on a day to day basis, do you and I present our bodies a living sacrifice? What was a sacrifice? When, when you consider this, if you look in the book of Leviticus, as the, uh, Moses was receiving the, the sacrificial, sacrificial system from God Himself, what was a sacrifice? Notice this in verse number 2 of Leviticus 1. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bringing offering, notice what it says, unto the Lord. Ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Notice what it says, before the Lord. Do you know what the sacrifice was? Uh, ultimately, it, 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 it had multiple purposes. Ultimately, it was a picture of the atonement that we would receive through Jesus Christ. But it was a form of worship. It was a form of, of, of bringing this, this lamb or this bullock or this goat or whatever it might be to God that, that mankind might be right with God. That mankind might worship God. You see this as you read it, that it's unto the Lord. It is before the Lord. But even more clearly, I think you see it in, in verse number 9. And His inwards and His legs shall be washed in water and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire. Notice this, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. The sacrifice on the altar as the, as the lamb was, was placed on the altar and, and, and it was burnt, the, the smell was to be a sweet savor unto the Lord. It was to be a way of worshiping God, of glorifying God. And the verse 13, it says that's, that it's a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 17, it's a sweet savor unto the Lord. Chapter 2, verse number 2, it's a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 9, a sweet savor unto the Lord. You can continue on as you read through Leviticus. You see that all that the, the children of Israel were to do was to, in a sense, please God. To satisfy God. 
To satisfy, no doubt, His wrath and the atonement, but also just to worship Him. And you see that throughout the, the, the early Israelite church, that the, the, or not the church, but the Israelite nation, that they were worshiping God. And many times they would come to the tabernacle and they would glorify God. They would recognize in their sacrifice that He must be worshipped. There was a continual offering. There was always something burning on that altar to worship the Lord. What is it? A sacrifice. It's a form of worship. And and so Paul says to us, hey look, your life, if you and I recognize that God is beyond us and God must be glorified, then your life and my life must be lived in a way that is worshiping Him. See, we have this idea in the, in the 21st century, I guess it's been corrupted by the, the worship music and all of that of our world today, but that, that you only worship the Lord when we come and we sing. We only worship the, the Lord when a piano or a guitar is played or, or we come to a worship service. Can I tell you, that's not what worship is. It is a part of worship. But worshiping God and glorifying God is something that ought to be a part of your every moment of your life. You and I ought to be able to worship the Lord as we paint, as we cook, as we paint, as we fix HVAC, as we work in the military, as we, whatever you do, your life ought to be a way of worshiping God. But the reality is, if you're like me, and maybe, maybe you're not, but the reality is, is we don't always live that way, do we? There are so many times that, that we, we are making decisions and choices and acting in a way for our own glory or what pleases us or what would satisfy our own souls more than what would please God. Uh, why is that? Because, because Satan's philosophy has crept into our minds through media, through television, through the gigantic billboards we see as we drive down the motorway. It, it is constantly trying to draw us away from seeking God's glory to seeking our own. And so we, we get consumed with our technology. We get consumed with, with our houses, with our cars. We get consumed with, with our own knowledge and our libraries, how many books we have on the shelves. We get, we get distracted by those things. Why? Because they please our own flesh. We're seeking our own pleasure, not God's glory. And so Paul says this, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, in other words, you can't do it yourself. You can't. I can't. But by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You, you could actually, those, those words could, could be service or your reasonable ministry, your logical ministry, or your, the, your lifestyle, your everyday worship of God. It's reasonable. It's not illogical. Think of that. It's not illogical to give your life for the God who gave His for you. Sometimes we think, oh, that's a pretty steep price He's asking. He wants me to give my life as a sacrifice? Yeah, He does. And it's not unreasonable because He did it for you. He says that it's a bodily sacrifice. It's physical. We ought to be able to serve God physically in, in the little things of life. It's living some people like to think that they'll, they'll die for the Lord. Can I tell you, you'll never be asked to die for the Lord if you don't learn to live for Him. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that, 
if I was confronted in the moment and somebody was going to take my life and, and uh, that I would stand strong and I wouldn't, I wouldn't cower. I wouldn't be a coward. But the, tr- the truth is, is if we're not going to live for Him, nobody will ever come and seek to take our lives. A living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice to be set apart, to be different. We don't need to fit into this world in an acceptable sacrifice. You know, you know what it means. You can bring a, a good sacrifice to the Lord and it still not be acceptable. If you don't believe me, ask Cain. Cain brought a sacrifice. He brought an offering to the Lord, uh, his fruit, and he thought he had grown them well himself, but God didn't accept it. It wasn't acceptable. It wasn't what he had asked for. We can't worship God our way. We must worship Him the way He desires to be worshipped. Otherwise, we're not really glorifying Him. If you're trying to glorify somebody the, the way that, uh, contrary to what they, they, they want to be glorified, it wouldn't be nice. It'd be like me saying, I want to take my wife out to a nice meal, and the one thing she hates is, is Chinese food, and I take her to a Chinese place. Well, that's not going to please her very much, is it? I ought to take her to somewhere that she enjoys. Why? Because that's what she wants. It would be for her pleasure. And the same is true with God. We ought to learn to glorify Him as He desires, in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And He makes this, 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 this is the point, this is the point. To Him be glory forever. Therefore, I beg you, brothers, by God's help, by God's mercy, that you give your life as a sacrifice. Worship Him, which is your reasonable service. I wonder tonight, are you a person who worships God. Now the reality is, is, is you and I can't do it in of our own flesh. That's why it goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed comes from the same root as metamorphosis, as a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. The same idea that, that you and I would be changed by what? By the renewing of your mind. That's how, that's the, the difference in your mind is how, how someone can, someone can do one job one day without worshiping the Lord, without doing it for His glory, and do the same job the next day and glorify the Lord. Why? Because it's, it's, it's about your heart, spirit, and in truth. How we worship the Lord. Giving our lives constantly to the Lord. May we be a people who glorify God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word this evening. I pray and I ask that every one of us would learn to live for Thy glory. Whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, may may it all be to Thy glory, to Thy exaltation to worshiping Thee, Lord. Please teach us this. Please forgive me for failing at this, for being a man of covetousness, for being a man of, of anger, for being a man of slandering, and all the things of this word, world, for being backbiting. Lord, please make me, make us people whose greatest pursuit in life is Thy glory and not our own. Pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.